Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the stories of businesses good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Hi, welcome to Colorado Business Roundtable podcast, Profits and Purpose. I'm Debbie Brown, and I'm excited today to welcome Christy Pollard to the conversation to specifically talk about a ballot issue that is top of mind for Colorado voters. So welcome, Christy. Thank you for having me, Debbie. It's, I'm pleased to be here. It's great to have you. Christy is principal of Catalyst Public Affairs, and I've worked with Christy Pollard on several different different issues over the years, mostly around economic opportunity, I believe. Yes, absolutely. My uh, my longstanding career has been in economic development and working with businesses and creating greater economic vitality in the state of Colorado. And I'm still getting to do that. And I think uh, Proposition 118 really just gets to the core of uh, economic development and what we want for our businesses. Well, perfect. I was going to jump in and talk about football with you, particularly our favorite teams. But (laughs) this is it's this time of year. It's election season and football. And while football would be more fun, um, let's jump in. I had heard you give a really great summary of Proposition 118 recently at the Colorado Women's Chamber ballot event, where they brought in both sides of the issue and let people kind of give a pro and a con. And today, I just really want to dive more into the details because you're so well studied on the issue and how it might affect the business community in particular, Christy. So I don't know if you can give us kind of big picture first, and then we'll get into some questions I might have for you on the issue. You bet. Absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity. This is a really important issue that I think as voters, it's incumbent upon us to educate ourselves and understand the details behind it. Um, So to begin, uh, Proposition 118, uh, better known as the uh, Paid Family Leave Benefit Program, uh, is on this November's ballot. And, you know, as as a mom of four, you know, I know firsthand the importance of uh, taking time to bond with a baby. And as a small business person, I also know the importance behind uh, taking care of my employees and making sure that we are there for them during their time of need. What this opposition around 118 is, is not about whether or not we support uh, paid family leave, but it really is the devil that's in the details behind this initiative. And in your blue book, it's actually 15 pages of detail. So um, there's a lot of uh, specific that we would love for our voters to understand about it. You know, uh, there are a couple of primary concerns and we can dig into those. Um, The first is that it's a $1.3 billion tax increase. Um, This tax increase uh, will come directly out of every employee's paycheck. It's split 50-50 between the employer and the employee, and it'll show up on uh, an employee's pay stub similar to what you'd see with a FICA deduction or a Social Security deduction. That deduction starts in the first year of the program at 0.9% of the employee's wages, and then it increases to 1.2 at the discretion of the new director of the uh, paid family leave department. So at a time when our businesses are really struggling, uh, the economy is, is struggling to get back completely, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, 
you know, uh, placing a $1.3 billion tax on the backs of our hardworking employers and employees, we just don't believe is right at this point in time. One of the other concerns that we have with it is that this $1.3 billion tax is not just going to create benefits for people to take off with their uh, loved one or to take care of a family. This $1.3 billion tax increase also goes to create a new 200-person division within the Department of Labor and Employment. It's huge, Debbie. You know, it's a bloated bureaucracy. And again, at a time when our employers and employees are just trying to get back to work, we are going to create a new government program that is run by 200 new government employees. And like you, Debbie, I would much rather see those hard-earned dollars go back into the economy through private enterprise and, and adding more jobs into the economy through private enterprise. And I would ask you this, though, Christy, it seems like the proponents are saying almost the opposite. Like at at such a time as this, as people have been displaced, um, you know, folks really are caring for loved ones, perhaps who have COVID. This is an example of a time when we need something like a government run family leave program. I don't know how you'd respond to some of that, as opposed to the flip side. What you're saying is the economy is just in, in too bad of a shape for this big of a tax increase. You bet. You know, I think one of the things is that this this initiative starts from the premise that employers aren't taking care of their employees, which I know a lot of uh, business people would take great offense to. We hear story after story about employers who are working with their employees on a case by case basis and providing that flexibility. We talked with a small business person the other day who paid for uh, their employees, had a loved one that passed away, paid 100% for the funeral expenses because that's what that person needed. Another person had an employee that had uh, cancer and needed nine months worth of cancer treatments and came to their employer and said, can I work part-time and work from home for these nine months? And that employer kept them at 100% of their wages gave them that time and that flexibility. So, you know, I think the concern is, is this is a one size fits all uh, response to people in time of need. And again, yes, we should absolutely be taking care of our employees during their time of need. And if employers aren't, we know that those employees will move on to the next opportunity um, that presents them. Um, So we believe that some flexibility Um, around this is important because not everybody needs precisely the same thing. Mm -hmm. And especially giving the private sector the ability to understand the needs of their workforce better than the government would understand the needs of everybody's workforce. You know, how does, how does the business have that specific flexibility? Well, absolutely. And and this initiative goes so far as it actually takes away that employer-employee uh, relationship. As, as an employee, if you decide that you want to take this benefit, you don't go to your employer to ask for the time off. You go to this new division and you apply for the time off and the division lets your employer know um, that that person is going to be taking that leave. So it's inserting government into the middle of uh, an employer-employee relationship, which um, nine times out of 10 is a very positive relationship. Tell me this, Christy, one of the criticisms that I've heard is that this program is very large and very broad. So the sense is, 
while we could understand why, why somebody needs time off, perhaps to care for a child that was just born, you know, the mother wants to care for this child, uh, perhaps there's an elderly parent. It goes even further than that to some degree of the all the different types of scenarios that would qualify for paid family leave. And I've heard criticism of that, that it's just so broad and big that we're, we're starting as, as probably if this passes, one of the most generous and big programs of its kind in the country. I don't know if you've had a chance to give some, some feedback along those lines. You bet. So there are eight states uh, in the U.S. that offer um, paid family leave, uh, California, New Jersey, New York, Washington, a handful of others. And this initiative would be by far the most generous in the entire nation. And quite frankly, that's why you're seeing a lot of uh, money out of Washington, D.C. to fund this initiative. But the generosity around this is is extremely broad um, in the number of weeks. So it allows for 12 to 16 weeks of paid leave, uh, 90% wage replacement um, at uh, the lower ends of the income range, and it's a sliding scale to 45 uh, percent of the pay scale, but it, it does go further on the circumstances. So uh, you can take this leave in increments of one hour. Um, so a person could take a very long lunch for a mental health break um, for up to 12 weeks, however many hours that turns into, or um, a person could actually take off every Friday and Monday for a mental health break. And here's the other kicker that when you talk about um, the broadness, it also has to do with the definition of what is considered family. You know, so in addition to the traditional family and family-like relationships, this ballot initiative will allow someone to take paid family leave with someone with which they have a significant bond. That is not a legal definition in any statute. Uh, the political appointee that will run this new division will make the determination as to what that means. But it could mean that you would take uh, every Monday and Friday off with someone in your social circle because you need that mental health break. So there are a lot of ways that uh, the system can be gained, uh, gained, excuse me. And, uh, you know, again, it, it, I think that there are lessons that we can learn from other states um, who started these processes a little bit more slowly and built on them as uh, they better understood uh, the place of their businesses within their state. Mm -hmm. You know, red flag after red flag after red flag. Uh, you know, so many reasons why in this particular point in time, this seems like incredibly bad policy for the state of Colorado. And I and I find it curious that this issue has been going through the state legislature for quite some time. And, and there's been some real collaboration between the bill sponsors and the business community and trying to find some common ground and the flexibility that the business community needs. And when that fell by the wayside, you know, one of the most extreme versions of that, of course, is now on the ballot. Do you have a sense from the business community? I don't know anybody in the business community who is supportive of Prop 118. Christy, do you know of any groups that have maybe come, on, come along the side and, and say that it's good policy for Colorado? 
No, in fact, we have uh, over 60 business organizations and thousands and thousands of businesses represented uh, that are opposed to this. And, and you're, you're right, Debbie, this initiative uh, or this idea has been going through the legislature for the last six years. And I think it pinpoints the challenge with it and really the numbers behind it in a state that like Colorado, where we have one party that has both the House, the Senate, and the governor's mansion, for them to not be able to pass something because they couldn't agree on the numbers and whether or not the program could be solvent is really profound. Now we've got an initiative that's an up or down vote, a yes or no, that took the most extreme version. And I think that's probably one of the most concerning pieces of this initiative is whether or not there will be monies there when people need to take them. Uh, Based on a a Common Sense Institute economic impact, we know that if 6.2% of Coloradans use this benefit for only nine and a half weeks, it will be bankrupt in year two. And I believe that That's why our legislature was not able to pass it. No one wants to pass a program that is not going to be there, particularly at someone's greatest time of need. So it is just fraught with challenges and unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think about, um, you know, my bigger concern from a Colorado Business Roundtable perspective is how do we keep Colorado business friendly, open for business? where we're the state competing with other really great states around the country, how do we make sure we're competitive when attracting growth and new headquarters and new businesses to come to town and making sure that we don't strangle them with an environment that is overly burdensome from a regulatory standpoint? So I, I think about growth issues. And, and the trick is if we, if we scare off employers or burden employers and they move elsewhere, The truth is we're hurting the very people that I think, uh, you know, the proponents of this measure are trying to help. Like, like we can be pro people and actually think this is a failed policy. What, What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we should. And like you said, pro mom. I'm a mom as well. Like I have, uh, you know, uh, we can be as pro mom as, as it gets without necessarily buying into, um, a failed strategy. That that's absolutely right. We need we want Colorado to be business friendly, and part of that as workforce development, we have to treat our employees well. But when you put uh, different programs on top of different programs that do not actually work together, it creates a conundrum for these businesses, and it creates challenges from an HR perspective, from a tax perspective, to you know how are we going to implement these sort of things. So. Yes, we all want Colorado to be business friendly. And I don't believe putting a 20% income tax increase on the backs of our employees is the way to um, make us business friendly, you know, and yes, we, we should absolutely be taking care of our employees. I don't believe that that is the argument. I think the proponents would lead you to believe that this is just just about that. This initiative is bad policy. It's bad for Colorado. And it's not Coloradans asking Coloradans to do things for their business. This is Washington, D.C. Over 95% of the proceeds for this initiative have have come out of Washington, D.C. This is not Colorado asking Colorado to do better by our businesses. Wow. That's a staggering number. I didn't realize that was where a lot of the funding was coming from. Christy, I know that you've spent most of your entire career helping businesses be successful and attracting new businesses to Colorado. 
And I'm really honored to have you here um, from Catalyst Public Affairs and all the good work that you're doing. Is there a particular website you'd like to drive people to if they want more information on Prop 118? Yes, absolutely. So our website is VoteNoOn118.com. That's VoteNoOn118.com. There are fact pages and a variety of um, different pieces that uh, your listeners can uh, take a look at that better help them better understand the 15 pages of details that's behind this uh, proposed initiative. <laughs> Sounds like your summary on the 15 pages is just vote no, right? <laughs> it's your summary. No. It's bad policy. I know. Well, there's so many issues swirling around right now during this season and appreciate you coming on to join us, Christy. And again, I want to thank everybody for listening in today. This has been a production of Colorado Business Roundtable. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom, Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.